Hello and welcome to Bureau Happled in Conversation, the podcast where we try and solve or at least discuss the big issues facing engineers and consultants working in the built environment today. This episode is all about industrialised construction or standardisation. What is it? What does it solve? What are the challenges it brings? Is there still a stigma around the process when it comes to high-end design? To lead this discussion, I am handing over to Alan Waha from Bureau Happold, who will introduce himself and our guests. Alan, over to you. Yes, thank you. So, I work in Bureau Happold at uh, Digitising Construction, and so it's a pleasure to have a couple of um, guests that have made this their mission. First, uh, Matt Goff from Mays, and he will introduce himself. So good morning and uh, thank you for the invitation. I am Matt Goff. I am Mace's Director of Innovation. Uh, Mace is a global construction and consultancy company. We operate from five strategic hubs around the world. Um, And since our foundation 30 years ago it is now, we've very much had a focus on how can we create a better construction industry? How do we pursue a better way for construction? A lot of that was based on how do we increase the use of offsite and prefabrication? And nowadays we refer to that as our industrialized construction or moving from construction to production. So this is a topic very dear to my heart and uh, look forward to discussing it with you. And to debate with Matt, Wolf Mangelsdorf from Borough Happold. Yeah, hello. I am Wolf Mangelsdorf. I'm a partner at Bureau Happold. I'm an architect and structural engineer by background. And uh, for the past five, six years, I've uh, been researching and very closely sort of investigating how we can industrialize construction. This has taken me through quite a journey, but it uh, is closely linked to our development around the adoption of technology. That's where Allah and I work very closely together, the digitalization of our workflows and, and um, yeah, the connection of that digital workflow with the rest of the construction world, which is... So, so before we get heavily to the debate, I, I think it'd be useful to explore what's in the name. Because Matt, you, you mentioned off-site, you've mentioned industrialized construction, you, indus- you, you mentioned production. Wolf, you, you mentioned industrialization of construction. The government in the UK now has a modern methods of construction, SAR. Um, we've talked for many years around modular construction. Is it all the same thing or is it different? Is the name even important? Good starting question. Uh, I think it is pretty much all of the same thing, in essence. Um, You have to kind of tie it back to what is it that we're trying to achieve or what's the outcome that we're trying to get from this. Um, And I think any of those terms that you referenced or even I at the start all link back to a number of um, objectives or outcomes. Can we take work to a more controlled environment, thus to do it uh, safer, more higher quality, better, faster, hopefully cheaper in time. Um, Because we recognize that as a construction industry, doing what we do currently, which is, you know, reactive work on the field, out in the great big wide world, doesn't lead to the best outcomes for our clients or for any of the people working in that process. So it's time for a change. It is indeed time for a change. And I, I do think the name 
is important. I agree with you, Matt. It is somewhat all leading to the same sort of ambition that we want to make our construction industry better quality, more productive, safer, you know, less wasteful, and, and a whole lot of other things, probably faster and, 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 and cheaper uh, build as well. But I think the different names that you're referencing here are somehow show and indicate that the, the change of thinking that has happened over time, because this is not a theme or a topic that's new to us. It's something that goes way back to, I don't know, right, the post-war era of, um, or probably even modernist times of, 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 of architectural discourse yeah, in the 1920s and 30s. And, and I think what prevailed initially was this idea that everything has to be in a module and that industrializing construction is very much the analogy of industrializing everything else and that means producing ever repetitive parts that are looking the same and are very much as simple as possible. And yeah. do, you, do you reckon that all of those different names are holding us back? Like a barrier. So, I, you know, there is some element of we might be trying to remove the stigma just by calling it something else or an emperor's new clothes. But it doesn't help anyone if you can't articulate or communicate what it is that you're talking about. I think it is very difficult to articulate what we're talking about because they, it, it isn't as simple as building a car or something. Yeah, not that that is too simple, but it's an analogy that is often made. Yeah, we, mm -hmm. we, 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 and it's, it's a very difficult one. I do think, though, that it is holding us back because it carries a bunch of stigmas and, 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 and some connotations of, of being cheap, of being of lower quality rather than higher quality, and of being maybe not as individual as we would like the mm. response to our architectural challenges to be. Yeah, so, but I, I have a few examples where effectively the most individualized or individual architectural buildings, the most iconic ones actually could only be produced because they were fully prefabricated and the process was almost industrial. But maybe a little more about that later, yeah. So Matt, you, you did start by saying it is the same because it's about the outcomes. Um, and Wolf, you said, well, it maybe is not the same because we are going about it in a different way. And um, if we focus for a minute on these outcomes, what, when you said, you know, for you, because you are a contractor, it's about safer working construction, it's about being less reactive. I, is that what it's all about or is there more? Mm, I think there's more. Um, I think that we are trying to industrialize our construction processes for a number of reasons um, that lead us to better outcomes. So um, and let's just focus on the really important ones at this point in time. So work on site is not safe. If you can control the environment, then it, you can create a safer environment. And we've sort of proven that work that we do off site in controlled environments, you get kind of you uh, improve the safety factor by like a 10x, right? So you've got a one in 10 chance of having the same incident as you might have out on site. That's important. Um, productivity, labor availability, workforce skills, etc., all kind of fits within the same blanket banner in some regards for us around industrializing the construction process. So we need to address all of those factors 
And by taking work off-site, we can be more productive. And that helps you tackle skills, labour availability, etc. Uh, and then lastly, and you know, this is a continually emerging or accelerating thread, is actually about how do we improve the impact that we have on the environment by industrialising construction. So we as an industry are magnificent at building all of these one-off building prototypes for the first time and we work to very kind of tough difficult programs with budgets and you know laws and regulations etc to meet but because we're always recreating and reinventing the wheel we don't do that kind of product development mindset that allows us to do things such as reduce the embodied carbon in the buildings that we build, focus on materials and developing and rolling out new materials etc. And we are seeing the linkage between the net zero carbon target for 2050, so it's written in law, we have to be a net zero carbon economy by that point in time. To get there we kind of need to reduce that impact by 50% over the next 10 years. If we keep doing what we've always done we will not get anywhere near that target, so we need to think about the construction process in a different way, therefore let's industrialise. I think you're making an important point here, yeah? Because we are revisiting the same problems again and again and again in these one-offs that we are building, without ever recording, in a way, the knowledge that we gained from the previous project, uh, we, we we are unable to focus on the really important things. Yeah, if you if you define outcomes, for me outcomes are are much more to do about how a building works for my client, for my end user, rather than whether I can open the door or the beam is not deflecting too much. Yeah, but at the moment we're we're still at the point where we're we're, we're sort of happy if 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 the sliding door slides at the end of the construction process, and at that point you know we all go happily uh, and, and to the next project, forgetting all about what we what we've done on this one. So it's. There's a number of issues in here that are all kind of connected together. One is the if we if we were to if we were able to truly industrialize our pro construction process in the sense that we that we we capture the knowledge that we gain on one project, we carry it on to the next, and we we we're not reinventing the same problem every time. We, we, we can then focus on those much more important outcomes. I do also think that we, we yeah, in, that, in that entire story of our, our the, the resources wasted on, on, on construction projects is enormous. The amount of carbon emissions just purely from the construction industry outweigh uh, everyone else's combined almost. Yeah, I think it's a total of 40% or something. Uh, it, it, it's unbelievable, yeah? So if, if you really want to make, I'm just sort of in agreement with you here, if you really want to make an, a, a, an impact in reducing, on, on reducing carbon emissions, then the construction industry is, is, is a, a, a major target here, I think, yeah? Mm. The big qu question, though, is, is we're still faced with building one-offs every time we do it, more or less. Mm -hmm. And we don't have the ability to take everything off-site because we do have construction sites that are standing out there in the rain, in the wind, and, 
and are subject to to all manner of boundary conditions that you do not have in a in in in, in a manufacturing plant. So, we, for me, the challenge really is using the technology that we have available now that we didn't have 30, 40 years ago that allows us to manage a higher level of complexity and almost getting to the point that we are able to build what we build physically in the computer or in the design tools that we have available before we actually build it for real. And I think that is that is sort of where, where, where we see the, the, the challenge going, yeah? That this is, we can drive the, the digital prototype, so to speak, to such a level of, 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 of detail, if we put our minds to it, that we, 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 we can know every step that we need to take on site and leave nothing to chance. At the moment, we're leaving too much to chance. Or am, yeah. I, am, I, am I wrong with this? So I would just challenge you guys a bit on that one. In terms of, I do think technology is a good enabler. Um, but Bureau Hapold could engineer the pips out of any project to tell us how it was going to be built more efficiently, use less materials, you know, specifications, assembly processes, all of that kind of stuff, right? But unless we change the nature of then how the industry works, if you hand that over or let's say novate that design to somebody else, all of a sudden all of that goodwill and good ideas becomes that bit more diluted, right? And when you look at the the lack of integration between the, the construction industry, the suppliers, you know, we you, your design which might be the most wonderful, industrialized, ready to go, high performing design ever, probably gets redesigned three times before it gets installed on site. Well, it definitely redesigned twice. I'm glad that you're challenging me on this because the when I say this needs to be resolved in the with with with, with the help of the technology, I am um, I could see you understanding it that way, and I'm quite glad you understood it in the way you did. But I, I do think the fundamental change that needs to happen is that we, we must not get to a point where Bureau Hapold now designs every every bolt and every nut and all the rest of it, and then it, we're back to where we were. That you tender it and you have it redesigned three times. I think what needs to happen is that a meshing maybe, whatever the word is, yeah, a better sort of blurring of that tender line needs to happen so that when we get to the point that we design things or shift from design world to installation world, we've already captured the knowledge that the supply chain brings along. Because I do feel that, you know, the supply chain is actually in many ways quite industrialized already. Yeah? Yeah. So if you look at a steel fabricator or a facade manufacturer or an MEP installer, in their own production mm. and their own methods and procedures are very industrialized. But where it falls down is at where the, the things go together. Yeah, Everyone sees their competitive advantage in their own methodology, in their own product. And they don't care at all about how it interfaces with the next trade or the next installer. Mm. 
And I think that interface issue is what we need to resolve. But it is only going to be resolved by, in, by involving the supply chain. It's never going to be in, resolved by me believing I can sort of resolve it all up front and I do what I do all the time and I just pass it on to the supply chain. Yeah, the concept of risk and reward needs to be very different. That's the thing. I think this is this, you're hitting the nail on the head here. Yeah, because it it is about how we treat risk and how we package risk. If I if I sort of broadly paint a picture of how we're doing this now, yeah, the, the design team designs something that is you know a little better than a design intent, as it were. Yeah, in many ways, then that gets priced, tendered, thrown out to the supply chain. They basically bid all this yeah, in, in, in a competitive environment, everybody closing down any kind of interchange of knowledge, and then you hope for the best that it's being resolved at the end when it comes out. Now, that's where it all goes wrong in many ways, as far as I see it, yeah? Because a lot of the risks that we sort of parcel up and throw over the tender line into the later stages of construction, if we treated them as design unknowns. We could actually bring them into what I call my model, yeah, into the management of information and design them out for bond of a better word, yeah, by actually capturing them, knowing them, resolving those unknown interfaces before they become a problem. And then you reduce your risks to those that you cannot ever mitigate, yeah, which or, 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 or design out, which is the weather and uh, the, 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 the whatever coronavirus. The, the coronavirus or the traffic jam. Yeah. yeah. So w Wolf presented a world where the designer is designing with increasing resolution and um, including the unknown. But from your point of view, historically, this has been designed twice or three times. Mm. Um, and therefore was being designed by the supply chain. So what role for the supply chain in design in, in this new world? Yeah, I mean, there's a number of different, uh, I guess, models that are being explored. There's, there's projects, there's IPDs, there's Project 13s, there's all the stuff that's happening in the water sector. You know, there, there are some uh, flagships, let's say, for doing this industry thing differently. Um, but I do think at this point in time, we're still relying on the sort of, let's say, traditional actors in that space, so the architects, the engineers, the tier ones, the suppliers, to kind of still fulfill the role that they were doing prior. You know, so we're all operating in a different way and hopefully being a bit more collaborative and not redesigning everything three times and creating all that waste. But we're still very strict about kind of our role and responsibility. And I think there is a potential that if you fast forward 10 years, 15 years, 20 years time, those roles will be somewhat different. I don't know when, I don't really know how, but if you look at how the industry operates, you know, we've built a model which is wonderfully reactive to the industry and the set of challenges that we currently face or that we have faced for the last 30, 40, 50 years. So just the, the sort of traditional actors fulfilling the traditional roles is something that I think we need to perhaps be a little bit more ambitious about. Or, and and it, we go and talk to our clients. Our clients are asking for different things. They want better outcomes, right? They, they want a 
smoother process. They want a, a program that is delivered on time and you know meets the budget that they set it out to do. Um, construction's a bit of a necessary evil in some respects to them, right? It's like oh, I've got to go through this arduous capex progress because I'm really interested in the 30 years of OPEX and how my building works for, I don't know, my staff or my patients or my students. Um, so there's lots of need to change. There's lots of enthusiasm around change. There is a potential to use technology to do things differently. Um, but nobody's got that sort of dummy's guide to doing it yet. And I think that's no, kind no. of where I'm interested. I, w I, want the, I want the industry to be a bit more Elon about this, right? Like what's that kind of big moonshot, yes, ambitious but, but view? That's absolutely, but uh, there's, a, there's a bunch of things in there, yeah? So where, where maybe five, ten years ago, or maybe even still now, there's a, there's a good bunch of people who think that the solution is in, in developing a system or in developing a kind of, uh, I don't know, yeah, one factory supply boom on site. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot wrong with it. Yeah, they're, they're, It's not scalable. It may be good for you know, a very small percentage of, of, our, of, of our construction uh, uh, workload, but it's, it's not something that is, 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 is in any form so viable in, 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 in a bigger sense. So I, I think we are, I'm very much in agreement with you that it is about utilizing the players that we have already and, and, and utilizing their knowledge and their expertise. And to come back to your question, Allah, I, I don't actually feel that, that it's, it is, and I think I said that, yeah, that it is designer's design and then supply chain is, is relegated to just building. I think in, 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 in a much deeper sense, the design expertise of the supply chain has to be brought into the into what we are designing much earlier. I think a lot is wrong with with how we treat risk, how we treat competitive advantage between or the tender process in that, because the way it's set up at the moment, it's actually just set up to design everything three times because we, we, we want to hold back the actual solution for as far as, or as long as possible so that we keep it open for the supply chain to fill the blanks, yeah, fill in the blanks themselves. But um, that isn't necessarily useful because it, it, it throws all of that design resolution that we actually need in order to make it a smooth industrialized process far out into the construction period of our project and I don't think that is right. So so if we were and I I'm with you here I don't quite know how that would would ideally how would how that would work if we were able to turn this on its head and bring in the supply chain in a in in in, in an orderly process early enough so that we can capture their knowledge lock it into the design so when it is actually released for construction all those unknowns are resolved. Yeah. But that means you have to engage in a different way. So, so let me let me test a model with you then. Yeah, go on. So so I'm I'm I've got my tier one mace hat on at the minute, not my consulting sort of arm. Um, I go to meet a client and my client says to me, I need a new office block for the expansion of my business in Birmingham and I need it to house 5,000 staff 
and I would like them to be able to move in in 2022, mm -hmm. right? And I, as Mace, have a office block that I've built previously that I wouldn't necessarily claim to be my product, but I would know that it was a good office block and it was uh, predominantly, let's say 85% of it was manufactured off-site and it was you know, using a traditional supply chain, but in a different way. And it was brought to site and assembled together nice and smoothly. Mm -hmm. But what my client still needed was to go through all of those early phases of their project to get from the kind of concept idea, I need an office block for 5,000 people, to I want a commission mace to give me one of those office blocks. Yes. Would that be a, a scenario where a bureau hapol might say, oh, I think I could go in there and add some value? I think so, yeah, because I, 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 assuming that that office block isn't exact replica of what you did before. Mm -hmm. What is the noise? Assuming that this, that 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 office block isn't an exact replica of what you did before, but an individual answer or response to the client's brief to the site and all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then, then we have two things going on in parallel. One is the, the, the individual response to that brief site and boundary conditions. But at the same time also, the fact that a lot of what we're going to build there isn't going to be much different to any other office block that we would have built before. Yep. And so if we, if, we were to, 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 if we were to be able to work on this early enough together, and we're able to convince the client that he doesn't get a competitive advantage out of tendering the steelwork to three different suppliers and the facade to three different suppliers, but leave that with you. You guarantee a price, yeah, and that's a competitive price, and we leave that to us to resolve. Mm -hmm. Then we could engage with those that you have successfully played with before, mm -hmm. early enough, and at stage three, we would have the supply chain feed into the design that we are producing and at stage four all interface and details are resolved. No unknowns. Sorry? No unknowns. We would no unknowns. Yeah. No unknowns. The question is what role does the client play in that? Yeah? Or how can we leverage your you into this or the combined force between a mason and a apple, let's yeah, yeah, say, yeah. so that the client doesn't insist or believe that they need to go through this wasteful pseudo-competitive process that eventually gets you to having to design this in stage five. Yes. That's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Yeah. And I would still give them the individual response to their challenge, not a standardized product, but it would give them that on the basis of a highly resolved design that avoids all the risks that you usually find downstream on site. Do you think you need to pay a bit more for design in order to get to that point? I don't know. I think we need to restructure the process. Yeah, I think you need to ensure that the design expertise that comes from the supply chain mm. is fed into the 
design as a concept, as a as as a process in a in an open and collaborative way. I think there's a bit of work to do. Yeah, I, I've I've sat around a table with a lot of suppliers who feed into the design in pre-construction uh, 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 consultancy agreements and God knows what else. Yeah, and what you get is actually pretty pretty much of no value. Well, they're yeah? just trying to sell their own products. Because they're trying to sell their own products, but they're not necessarily interested in the entire product, as it were, or in the entire process that mm. brings the whole thing together. So I've, I've rarely seen this really advanced thing. So that sort of threshold of trust, or whatever it might be called, needs to, needs to shift. And the, the collaboration needs to be that of true engagement around designing interfaces and, 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 and taking out the unknowns. And that's where we're coming back to technology, because if you have uh, a technolo technology platform that sits behind that, that is able to, 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 to manage the increased complexity that comes out of that, basically the higher design <coughs> resolution, then, then that, 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 will, that is the enabler mm. to actually get there. Yeah? That's how I see it. I think we're coming up with a new model. I, I, and look, if you take this to the next level and the next level, right, you could actually get to a point where these interfaces, which you've resolved on the first one, you've then captured and resolved on the second one, and then you resolved them and captured them on the third one, standard solutions will drop out of this, yeah? And I think if you get this process right, at least in pockets, you would be able to uh, arrive at what I would call standardized, customizable interfaces. There's a concept. And a mouthful. <laughs> I think it was interesting, I want to press you on, on the model, because you talked about integration earlier, more integration, and I think you then discussed how that might that look like, but you picked a very specific um, topology, offices, Yep. Um, and there goes my sense or my question is, in, in your mind, does this integration first happen in specific products? And, and of course, we know that the government today is talking about buying classrooms, um, trying to go towards buying educational outcomes. We know that in the office space, we're talking about servitization, where offices saying, I want happy, productive, um, workspace for so many people and so we, we're starting to have this concept of buying outcomes. Do you, do you think that this industrialization and integration talks to outcomes and to specific product first? Mm, I do, I mean there's a different application for different sectors. Um, I do think that it will be driven by specific typologies or sectors because I do think, and this sounds, I always hate saying it because it sounds like a bit of a get out clause from the construction industry that oh, we can't innovate or, but historically we've not been very good at demonstrating an ability to completely change the model, right? We're good at reacting. We're not necessarily very good at proactively going, right, let's just completely rewrite all the rules. In order to change quickly, we need our clients to almost ask us a different brief, or at least give us the ability and the space. Give us the freedom, right? To, do, yeah. to, to perform to a different brief. So, which clients care about industrialising construction? There's a huge amount going on in the residential sector, like both here in the UK and globally. 
Um, and we see that in kind of two areas. Firstly, there is the house builders, the developers, the people that own the product who are making big investments in factories and off-site construction because it, they have a direct impact and uplift by standardising their product and getting that more consistent and better quality and boy they need to improve the quality. Not everyone, some of them. Um, but there's also the one-off developers, right, which are really trying to explore the market and some of the areas of the market that are starting to industrialise. So the volumetric providers that are providing to a range of clients, etc. Um, I don't necessarily see those one-off developers owning factories of their own because why would they, right? They're, they're pipeline is up and down, it's a bit lumpy, they're just going to need to buy from the market at the right time. But it's right for them to ask a different question, which is how can I get more capacity or volume quicker, which is what they're trying to do. So residential seems to be making some good progress, right? And in the UK particularly, you've got the likes of uh, the um, Homes England really promoting the cause, making lots of capital investment in off-site manufacturing construction, helping companies like Sekisui and from Japan. Uh, there's a huge amount of momentum behind it going on. Mm. Um, I think what the government is trying to do around some of the more standard products such as schools, prisons, hospitals, etc., makes perfect sense, right? We just want more of all of those things, and if we can do that a bit more better and expediently, why wouldn't we? And hats off to the government for putting their money where their mouth is and investing in these programs. Um, some of the other areas, is, you know, offices is an interesting one, isn't it? Um, Mace came up with a standard office product 20 years ago uh, for out-of-town office block developments, which at the time was a thing, right? I think we called it, what do we call it? Uh, Mace Business 1.0 or something. But we, and so we did loads of work with architects, engineers, suppliers, etc. We said, right, we've got a standard product that you can go and put on any out-of-town site that you purchase and create some office space. And everyone said, oh, I don't want a standard product. I want the ability to be flexible and customizable. And offices are probably one of those areas of the market where, as a landlord or developer or um, employer, you do want a little bit of customization, right? You want it to feel like your brand, you want it to feel unique and special and one-off. So maybe I picked the wrong example for my um, prototype industrialised construction. But no, but you, no, no, but you didn't, you see, because I, I, I think you have a point, yeah? So it's, it's striking that balance between utilising as much standardisation that we can, and I, I, I still believe that runs through how, how pieces go together rather than what the pieces look like, and, and the ability to customize things where I would actually say your, 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 the, uh, an office product would be the starting point for changing a process and proving that a revised process is giving you both the better quality and the prefabrication and at the same time the individual response that our or the customizable response that our clients are, are, are uh, 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 demanding. I think if you if you think this through and you, 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 you start changing how designers and supply chain engage and how we treat risk and how we develop a, an approach to designing out those unknowns that we're currently still dealing with, then I don't think it stops at, at, at office buildings. I think it is actually very good at doing the one-offs too. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what stops us from treating a museum project or a theatre project 
in the same way because the challenges are exactly the same. Yeah, it is really just about a process and a collaborative kind of engagement in designing out the unknowns that ultimately leads to the industrialization of a product or, 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 or a project. My kind of best experience with designing for prefabrication and treating a project like a product is the Morpheus Hotel in Macau with Zahadid, yeah, the most complex structure I've ever done. Uh, every piece of steelwork slightly different, every piece of steelwork clad in aluminium and we would have never been able to build this if it hadn't been all resolved before it goes to site. So there was a massive effort between the design team and the supply chain to get everything resolved at the point when it needed to be resolved because you can't leave it to chance. You have no opportunity to get the jackhammer out and adjust things on site. Mm. It's too complex. So that's why I'm say saying the, the approach of collaborative design that leads to that sort of resolution of the interfaces, I don't think that stops at an office project. So I think you're talking about industrializing the process, and I think that's different to industrializing the product. Because I think there I, is a, there's I, a car, yes. you know, and your Morpheus building in Macau is probably an F1 racing car, yes. of which you would not produce that many. Mm -hmm. and, but the world also needs Ford Fiestas. Uh, yeah, okay, but this is the thing, right? So, so as you, in, I, I come from a, pr a, a, an approach of industrializing the process, absolutely right. Mm -hmm. But as we industrialize the process, we can then open up opportunities to develop sub-assemblies, to industrializing parts of what we are actually designing and standardizing parts of what we're designing and moving from there towards a product. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a sliding scale in there, but the underlying, what needs to, in my view, what needs to change or what needs a radical overhaul is the process. The industrializing the process is the, is the key to unlock any further industrialization downstream. So gentlemen, I think um, it, that sounds like we are already getting into the next podcast because that sounds like a very wide question, industrializing the product, industrializing the process. Um, I do, go, um, do both go hand in hand. But I have a final question. Um, you, you talked about into, I integration, moonshots, ambitious clients. Um, we say never waste a good crisis, and um, we've got a couple on our hands. Mm. Um, we have we have a coronavirus on our hands. The Chinese showed us how to build a hospital in um, ten days. We have a government that wants forty hospital built within <coughs> a few months. I, I, I couldn't follow which version of the dates was finally agreed. Um, we also know we have an emergency crisis in terms of climate. So, uh, in, in your words, which moonshot would you take on and um, that your firm would like to participate on? Uh, we're really focused on the climate emergency at MACE. So, we've made quite a bold 
commitment this year uh, in our net zero carbon strategy where uh, the board, fair play to them, said, do you know what, we're going to set a target to move to net zero, but none of this five years, ten years stuff, we're going to do it this year. And we're going to do as much as we possibly can by reducing carbon from our, our operations that we can control. And anything that we can't remove, we will pay for the offsetting through a gold standard offset. And yeah, offset may or may not be the future, but we are going for it. Um, and it's the right thing to do. And it's really catalyzed the enthusiasm of the masses at MACE. And that's a really important, I think, step for us. So I'm, as innovation director, I'm always leaning on people to do things, right? Trying to encourage them to think differently, but more importantly, trying to encourage them to partake and to take sort of projects on and to develop ideas and investigate new technologies, etc. And the climate emergency has got everybody running five times faster than they were prior to just talking about know, a construction to production strategy. So that's really cool. I've got um, some questions about the uh, Chinese hospital built in 10 days as to where all those modules came from because I don't think they were manufactured in the sort of 10 days prior but you know that's a slightly <laughs> different question that I should probably <laughs> ignore at this point in time so but yes the moonshot is the climate emergency yes and I say we we are in a very similar situation we we have put climate emergency top of our agenda and it has been a similar jolt through our firm that has brought people together and at the same time as we're drilling deeper into it we're seeing that the challenge are uh, challenges are formidable yeah mm -hmm. because I said it a little earlier as a con as we as the construction industry we are the major contributor to co2 emissions and a lot of it is actually currently I think it's 50% plus is actually what we would call embodied carbon which is the carbon emissions that are related to the materials that we use, the build process, uh, and, and, and everything related to it. And we will find it difficult to reduce that to zero. That's not going to be something that we can do immediately. There's no materials that allow us to do that straight away. Mm -hmm. And um, for me, that is one of the most interesting challenges, actually. Yeah, Because we can do a lot now, I think, by using the right processes and I think industrializing construction and, and, and reducing waste and, and reducing the amount of energy and time that we waste in, in piecing things together or doing them twice, yeah, oftentimes, um, will make a big contribution. But I think beyond, let's say, a 30 to 50 percent reduction that we can achieve now, it'll be very hard and will require us to look at different topologies, at designing for looser fit and reuse in the future, uh, the use and development of new materials and all the rest of it. So I think there's, 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 a, there's a big work stream ahead of us, which I, which I fully embrace, which I think is, 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 is uh, challenging. But I have a slight fear that it might be too late. So in parallel, I think we, 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 we mustn't just think we can solve it all and, and reverse or, re or, or, or slow down climate change. I think we also have to prepare 
for the resiliency that we need I in order to embrace whatever changes are coming. Yeah, and these changes are already on their way. You have been listening to Bureau Happold in Conversation, where engineers and consultants discuss big issues that affect their work and the built environment. Catch up with the rest of our conversations on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you've heard, please do share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. <laughs>